to the destruction that he's about to, to cause this country. You're not nearly as patriotic as we are. You've got Russia. If the president puts Russian salad dressing on his salad tonight, somehow that's a Russian connection. When cities and states refuse to help enforce immigration laws, our nation is less safe. Hopefully it'll start being bipartisan because everybody really wants the same thing. We want greatness for this country that we love. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, Tuesday Podcast, March 28, 2017. A busy day once again here on the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Glad you could be a part of the program today. Uh, Sanctuary City's up first, uh, but... Later on, we'll get into a major jobs announcement coming out today. Uh, more jobs being created in the U.S. thanks to President Trump's pro-business, pro-growth policies, and also um, a major story that we did put up on NeilACurso.com this evening, and that is the Obama administration, the nexus between the spying, the unmasking, all the, uh, that detail that we'll get into uh, later on in our second segment today. Um, in terms of how the Obama administration, it's pretty evident that they could have spied on the Trump administration. We'll tell you why we connect the dots for you today on the program. But first up, joining us, we're going to start with uh, Michael Cutler. He's our guest tonight, a friend of the program, retired immigration and naturalization service agent. And, of course, he is a contributor to Front Page Magazine and Caps Californians for Population Stabilization. And he joins us now. Mr. Cutler, thanks so much for taking time this evening. Always great to join you, Neil. Also, I write for The Social Contract. I may as well get that out there. They've got a quarterly publication that will be out in another couple of weeks. And uh, I have the lead story this quarter, so I'm pretty excited about that. Very nice. What's the lead story (laughs) on? It's going to be about immigration fraud. The uh, working title, and you know, when you're dealing with editors, you never know what they're going to do to your title. They're usually pretty good about it. The the working title was uh, Immigration Fraud, The Lies That Kill. And I looked at, I took a hard look at terrorism and uh, visa fraud, immigration fraud, uh, the, the key entry and embedding tactic of not only the 9-11 terrorists, but many other terrorists as well. Very interesting. So uh, we will look forward to that, and you do have a lot of titles, and that's why we bring you on all the time here. It's because you need more titles, I think. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and I try to have fun with my titles. Uh, you know, I, um, I, wrote an, I wrote a couple of articles for Front Page Magazine, in fact, about, um, about the sanctuary cities. Of yeah. course, it's almost, almost always about immigration. But the... Um, um, the the title that I came up with for my uh, my article was kind of interesting because the the second half of it was why the Democratic Party needs to change its uh, mascot from a donkey to a coyote <laughs> because of the way that the Democrats seem to really be doing everything in their power 
to uh, impede the enforcement of the immigration laws, which has to be good news to the uh, uh, smugglers, the so-called coyotes, as they're referred to in Latin America. And so, um, you know, we really need to put the pressure on and put the spotlight on these issues. And, and I want to thank you for the work you're doing to that end. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, a perfect transition there because you bring up uh, Democrats. Well, Democratic mayors uh, today, and that's what our you know lead story is today, is that uh, yeah. Democratic mayors are firing back at uh, Jeff Sessions and the Trump administration's threat to cut federal funding. So you have the attorney general uh, Sessions yesterday taking the podium at the White House uh, press briefing room, and he says that, we will cut federal funding, and I hope that he that those aren't empty promises because what's going on in these cities is dangerous. Um, it's criminal, and they have mayors today like uh, Bill de Blasio, Big Bird, uh, in New York, uh, saying uh, that we're not going to back down, that we're going to take this to court if we have to. You have the Los Angeles mayor, Dallas, New Orleans, uh, Chicago, many others um, coming out and, and saying we're going to fight this tooth and nail. So what's your reaction to that? Because I know, obviously, as an immigration agent, you're opposed to sanctuary cities. They don't – we've talked about it. They don't work. They don't provide any uh, real sanctuary for anyone. So what's your reaction to this? Well, the sanctuary cities do provide sanctuary for criminals, for terrorists, for drug traffickers, <laughs> yeah, gang members, people. fugitives from justice. And for the human traffickers. And that was why that was the, the reason that I used that title for my article. The idea that you're going to discourage aliens from speaking to ICE agents is insanity. You know, it's remarkable. After 9-11, the slogan was, if you see something, say something. <clears throat> you would think that they would want to do that where uh, aliens are concerned also, because the way you put a smuggling case together, and, you know, my 30-year career with the INS really gave me a unique vantage point because I rotated through all the squads in the investigations branch, spent a couple of years um, with the anti-smuggling unit in New York City. And that may sound strange to people saying, wow, a smuggling unit in New York City. But, you know, we have <clears throat> more illegal aliens in New York than in any other municipality in the entire country. Think about that. Yeah. And so... When you have a safe house in New York, and what a safe house is, is a place where the smugglers bring the aliens and basically hold them for ransom. You want to be out of here? Then you're going to have money delivered. And sometimes they raise the ante and say, you know, we were charging you $2,000, but it's been a long trip. We want $5,000. And they will literally hold them at gunpoint until family members can show up with the money. And by arresting the illegal aliens and then giving them an opportunity to work with us, that is to say the immigration agents, we can give them employment authorization. There's even specific visas that they can ultimately be granted so they can get green cards. They can bring family members here. And then they identify the smugglers and they tell us where they stayed and how they were trafficked and who the drivers were and what the arrangements were and where they met the people in their native country. And you slowly put together the picture of the entire uh, smuggling enterprise, and then you can go out and make the arrests and make the cases and use those aliens who were smuggled as key witnesses at the trial for the prosecution. So when you have people like Mayor de Blasio saying, 
we're going to protect you from those evil immigration agents. And Chuck yeah. Schumer says the same thing in Garcetti in Los Angeles. Well, the charge is even worse. I mean, I'll read you what Bill de Blasio from his Twitter today, and I you know, ended up kind of—I hope de Blasio would ever respond to me on Twitter because I love going after him on Twitter. He writes this today. He goes, uh, we won't back down for protecting New Yorkers from terror or from an overzealous administration fixated on xenophobia— and division. That's what Mayor de Blasio wrote on his official mayoral Twitter account today. Well, so so let's let's look at that allegation about xenophobia. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to listen to those bogus claims. Right. You know that I'm a nativist. Um, all kinds of nonsense. I'm first generation American. My mom came here as a 14 year old girl legally. I will underscore mm-hmm. the word legally ahead of the Holocaust. And so I certainly understand the plight of lawful immigrants. And here's the problem with that word immigrant. If you don't make a distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens, think of the damage you're doing to honest people who come here with visas, come here in accordance with law, come here to become part of this incredible tapestry that is America with all of its diversity, and we put them into the same bucket with people who sneak into the country because they're fugitives or criminals or engaged in terrorism. So everyone hears the word immigrant, they say, oh my God, another guy that ran the border, or another guy who's violating our laws. We admit a million lawful immigrants every year. They are given green cards, they're immediately placed on the pathway to citizenship. There are problems with a lack of integrity to the program because we don't have the personnel, the resources to interview people the way we need to, to do field investigations, not just a background check, which is almost worthless. So that program needs to be beefed up in terms of vetting and security, which are things that Donald Trump has been talking about. Right. But the point is, think how many people come legally, and they get here, and people don't understand because of this campaign begun by Jimmy Carter back when he was president, that there's no distinction being made in the media or by dishonest politicians, forgive the redundancy, <laughs> who, who call everybody immigrants no matter how they came here. And there's a world of distinction. And by the way, the most likely victims of the crimes perpetrated by transnational criminals are the members of the ethnic immigrant communities. And it's not just from Latin America. It's the Russian mob. It's Asian organized crime. It's the Jamaican drug posses. It's the Israeli mob. It's the Japanese Yakutso. It's the gangs that come here from Africa. Now, how do I know that? Because in my 30-year career, I've arrested individuals from all of those countries engaged in some truly terrible, violent crimes. And so, you know, human nature is human nature, Neil. Uh, Every nationality, every ethnic group, every religion has the good, the bad, and the ugly. And to turn this into an ethnic thing, oh, you don't like people who are different. Garcetti making the point that, oh, we're not going to treat people disparagingly because they don't speak our language. That's not what right. the law And Garcetti also said that taking federal funding from the city would be unconstitutional when removing funding from the federal government can do that. And in fact, federal laws are supreme. That's what the U.S. Constitution reads. So by not, yeah. by not going you know, according to federal law, what they're doing is unconstitutional, no? Well, I would argue that, they, that it is. And when they talked about the unconstitutionality of President Trump's executive order, uh, yeah. they've left out Title, um, I'm sorry, Article 4, Section 4, uh, wherein the federal government is supposed to protect the states from invasion and domestic violence. Right. Or, and, and, or and, the law, 8 U.S. Code, Section 1182F. 
Right. Well, that, and that specifically says the president by himself can make the determination, if he de- determines, that um, the admission of any alien or any class of aliens would be against the best interest of the United States. Right. It doesn't talk about having nuclear weapons or suffering from the Ebola virus. It's simply that if the president makes the determination that it would be against the interest of the United States, he can then suspend their entry for whatever period of time that he may deem appropriate, period. It was done by Jimmy Carter. It's been done by other presidents. Jimmy Carter did that with Iranians. And by the way, Iran is on that list of six countries yep. when our embassy was overrun in Tehran. Mm-hmm. And I was an INS agent back then, and we were ordered to drop all of our casework and focus on looking to arrest any alien who was illegally present from Iran and question aliens who might even be here legally to determine if they pose the threat to our safety. Aliens do not have an inherent right to enter the United States or remain here. Only American citizens do. And if you look at the executive summary of the 9-11 Commission report, and you know I've arrested terrorists in my career and I provided testimony not only to 16 or 17 congressional hearings in the House and Senate, but I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission as well. And the 9-11 Commission executive uh, summary um, talks about permeable borders and immigration controls, and these were the points that the summary made. There were opportunities for intelligence and law enforcement to exploit al-Qaeda's travel vulnerabilities. Consider collectively the 9-11 hijackers, and then they give you this little list. The 9-11 hijackers included known al-Qaeda operatives who could have been watch-listed, presented passports manipulated in a fraudulent manner, presented passports with suspicious indicators of extremism, made detectable false statements on visa applications, made false statements to border officials to gain entry into the United States, and violated immigration laws while in the United States. So really what the commission said was that multiple failures of the immigration system enabled the terrorists, and not just the 9-11 terrorists. If you read the report, they looked at a total of 94 terrorists. But the majority of them violated visa laws, lied when they got visas, lied when they got certain immigration benefits, including political asylum. Uh, We've naturalized terrorists. So what the 9-11 Commission said is tighten up on your enforcement of the immigration laws, and then you have Mr. de Blasio coming along and saying, no, we're not. Now, there's something else to consider, and this blew my mind because there was a CBS News report earlier today. And the report was that the Department of Investigation for the city of New York, it's kind of like OIG or GAO for the federal government. They look at issues of integrity and, and failures of government. Right. The New York City Department of Investigation found that there were people living in public housing who had criminal histories, and the policies, at least on paper, of the city of New York is to evict criminals from public housing or exclude them from being able to rent an apartment in public housing. Now, think about this. So de Blasio, the guy who says, oh, we're going to protect those illegals, including the criminals among them, complained about the public housing situation. (laughs) And here's what he said. Without mentioning the investigation or its findings, this is the New York Times, by the way, Mayor de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio's office, rather, issued a news release last week promising improved interagency communication and strategies, quote, aimed at quickly and accurately identifying individuals who pose a serious risk to the public safety and taking appropriate action. Quote, 
Improved NYP Day and NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority, communications and process, are you ready? Will shorten eviction and exclusion proceedings from public housing to weeks as opposed to months serious offenders, Mr. de Blasio said in that statement. So he's, so he's fine with that. evicting people out of public housing, right. but he's not, but he's standing by uh, fighting with the Trump administration over sending criminals back home, you know, murderers, rapists, drug right. dealers. So don't, don't you, if you're a criminal, don't you dare set foot in public housing. Don't you walk down the halls of our buildings. Right. But we have no problem if you're walking down our streets and in, in, in cities and towns across the United States. That's unbelievably hypocritical and disgusting. Um, we're talking to Michael Cutler, retired immigration and naturalization service agent. Uh, since you bring up the GAO, I have a government accountability office uh, stats here. The Criminal alien statistics, uh, they found the most recent statistics that there were 55,000 illegal immigrants in federal prison. 296,000 stayed in local uh, jails in 2011. Experts agree that those figures have almost certainly risen, although executive orders from the Obama administration may have changed the status of thousands who previously would have been right. counted as illegal immigrants. So. Those are some of the stats there. They say that there are about 2.1 million legal or illegal immigrants. We don't really know. Um, and they're walking among us. There are more than 1.2 million criminal aliens. I don't know how they know that. Um, or 1.2 cr uh, criminal aliens that are at large in the U.S. Again, not sure how they know that stat and why they aren't uh, detained uh, or deported. Um, but that's kind of what we've been given, uh, given forth to this uh, Trump administration. How dangerous and how alarming are these numbers to you? Uh, alarming beyond words. First of all, let's remember that it took 19 terrorists, 19 terrorists on 9-11, to inflict more casualties on the United States, on the mainland, in New York, Pennsylvania, and the Washington area, than were inflicted on us by the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. So let's, let's yeah. start out with that. Then let's consider that the bulk of the crime in America that involves violence and firearms is gang-related and therefore drug-related. Let's recognize the fact <clears throat> that we do not produce heroin in the United States. Right. Every single gram of heroin present in the United States was smuggled into the United States. Let's also consider that according to studies, and I don't know what the numbers are because we don't know what we didn't catch. You know, when I was on Neil Cavuto years ago, he said, well, there's fewer illegals based on arrest statistics by the Border Patrol. And they said trying to figure that out by arrest statistics is like taking attendance by asking people not present to raise their hand. It's kind of hard <laughs> to know what you're dealing with. Right. We also don't know how many aliens are here who falsely claim to be American citizens and their lies were not discovered. One of the things that we were trained to do when I went through the Border Patrol Academy, which is where all enforcement personnel went when they were hired, and, and that goes back in 1971 when I hired on. I hate to admit how long ago it was. <clears throat> One of the key things that we were taught was how to break false claims to U.S. citizenship. So you would know uh, in terms of dialect or words or, or phrases or certain other uh, factors during the course of an inter interview, interrogation, or whatever, how to determine if somebody was lying about their citizenship. So those numbers, I believe, are very low. And by the way, during the Reagan administration, both political parties did this to us. Nobody has clean hands on immigration, both parties. 
Uh, we were told there were about a million illegals that would participate in the Reagan amnesty of 86 under the mm-hmm. Immigration Reform and Control Act. We wound up with well over three and a half million. Now they're saying 12 million. In 2007, the Congressional Budget Office said there were 12 million back then. I find it hard to believe that we have fewer now than back then with all the surges and all the people that have come across the border. Yep. And the fact that nearly half of the illegal aliens don't run the border but come with visas and then simply leave or violate the terms of their entry. And part of the way that they violate the terms of admission, so when they say, oh, we're shielding the undocumented, many of these undocumented actually had green cards and lost them because they committed felonies. So the idea that we're protecting felons, and we don't know who's who without a scorecard, that if somebody claims to not have ID, they're claiming to not have a scorecard. Think of the risk. You know, Congressman Steve King, and I have tremendous respect for Steve, and, and you know, I'm registered as a Democrat. This yep. isn't a left-right issue. Not, sure. not only not for me, but for the country. It really shouldn't be a political issue. Uh, to me, it's no, common sense. And by the way, this is, this is globalists versus populists. Yep. Think what happened in England with, the, with Brexit and so forth. Donald Trump is a populist. I know some Republicans yell, he's not a true Republican. He's a populist. I would argue the founding fathers were populists. The right. Declaration of Independence starts out with we the people. You know, it's funny so, because I, I kind of mentioned that with health care. There was a globalist versus uh, nationalist populist yep. idea because, um, you know, I'm listening to Chucky e. Schumer on uh, ABC on Sunday, and he goes, you know, well, uh, you know, I'd work with Paul Ryan uh, on the health care, but Trump— you know, Trump is just uh, anti-establishment; doesn't want to work with us. So it's it, he'll play he'll play across the aisle. He just doesn't want to work with someone who doesn't want to. You know, wants to protect our country first, wants to put the best health care plan for our country. That's not a separate issue, but still, I mean, it goes to all these issues that it's really the the globalists would rather join together than work across the than work with the president. Well, that's right. And, and understand how dangerous this business is about taking down borders. Like Garcetti is now saying the harbor police in, El- in Los Angeles aren't going to cooperate with immigration authorities. Much of the narcotics and many illegal aliens come through this, the waterways. We have 95,000 miles of coastline. Think about that. 95,000 miles of coastline. There's different ways of smuggling people into the country. Right stowing them away on vessels. I was the Marine Intelligence Officer in New York, so I used to go out with the Coast Guard, and I was part of boarding parties that would board uh, vessels at sea or vessels that were at anchorage, you know, parked, if you will, or off the coast. And we would get on a cutter, and they would take us out to the boat. We would sp- sometimes spend two or three days going through it with a fine-tooth comb looking for both stowaways and for contraband. And, and so the, the page 61 of the official report, 9-11 and terrorist travel, has this excerpt. And this is something that you should be thinking about, folks. Exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Mm-hmm. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, Human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. How in the world do we look at what happened in England with that terror attack? Not long ago, the Berlin attack. 
We saw it in France. We've seen it in Brussels. We saw it in San Bernardino. We've seen it in Boston and elsewhere. And you have mayors acting as though they're heroes. We're going to shield these people from detection. Well, who are we shielding? Some are fugitives. They've committed heinous crimes in their home countries, and they came here to seek to get away from police. Some are coming here because they're members of gangs and want to set up shop. Some might be terrorists. And even the ones who are taking jobs are taking the jobs that people desperately need. You know, Alan Greenspan testified for Chuck Schumer back in uh, April of 2009, April 30th. And he referred to illegal aliens working in the United States as constituting a flexible labor force that only minimally suppresses the wages of those folks working at the bottom rung. Minimally suppresses. You've got to love it when a guy has a mansion in the Hamptons and he looks down his nose. You know, it's right. the Leona Helmsley, the little people pay taxes syndrome. But think about this. If you are making minimum wage, you're making $12 an hour. That's what you have to live on. How far away are you from homelessness if you lose any of your income at all? Think about how terrifying that is to American families and American children. We keep on seeing these interviews about the illegal alien and how tough they have it. When will the news media interview an American family that lost their home to foreclosure because the father or the mother was a computer programmer and got displaced by somebody from India. 60 Minutes did an amazing report on that. Hundreds of thousands of American high-skilled workers who may have given 20 years of their lives to companies like Disney got fired and were ordered to train their replacements if they wanted their severance package uh, I remember being in Washington, and one of those gentlemen was actually on it's the 60-minute show, and he talked about it. One of his friends died, a middle-aged guy, after he lost his job. The stress was so unbearable for him, he eventually passed away within three years of being canned by Disney. Oh, Why doesn't anybody interview those people? Why don't they interview Don Rosenberg? They did at Fox News, but the other networks won't. Because they Don have an agenda, clearly. Friend. Yes, and his son was 25 in law school, working his way through college, through law school, not just college, and he was run over by an illegal who ran over him three times trying to flee the scene of the accident, but this was San Francisco. So he was never charged criminally. Mm -hmm. He served, I believe it was under 40 days in jail for being involved in an accident in which a fatality resulted. The guy had no license. He had no right to be behind the wheel of that car. And yet, rather than charging him criminally, they turned it into a nothing. Right. And Imagine you know, that family. Why, the... why doesn't anyone consider the plight of the Americans? And by the way, when you hear Garcetti saying, we're not going to take children away from their parents, Don's son was certainly taken away from him, wasn't he? Yeah. Michael why Car- doesn't that make the news? It, well, uh, let me get to that point. Uh, we're talking to Michael Cutler, just to reiterate, uh, you know, retired uh, Immigration Naturalization Service agent, front page magazine, caps, uh, the social contract. Um, you know, th- I talked about the media earlier this week, or last week, really, and I, I was pretty ticked off, and yesterday talked about this uh, Maryland rape case. And what happened here when you have an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old, two illegal immigrants, um, and the defense on this is now saying that the girl, and they're coming out with text messages now, but besides that, I'll, I'll get to that point in a second because I do want to be fair on the story. But at the same point, you have two illegal immigrants who are 18 and 17 that are, are freshmen in high school. They raped this 14-year-old girl. She said no. They dragged her into a boy's bathroom in a high school. 
They don't speak English, and they're in this, and they're in the school. And I was pretty passionate about it because the media gives zero network coverage to this. And the only network that really covered it was Fox News. CNN did not cover it, MSNBC did not, and then the top um, three network broadcasts in the evening at 6.30, they got zero minutes of coverage. Right. And you have all of these other examples. I mean, not just the Maryland rape. You have Kate Steinle. You have um, Marilyn Farrow, 64-year-old Air Force veteran, raped and bludgeoned to death in July 24, <laughs> 2015 in her own home by an illegal immigrant uh, from Mexico. You have uh, early 2015, a 21-year-old working at a, a graveyard shift at a convenience store in Arizona when an illegal immigrant, an admitted member of the Sonola drug cartel, killed him as he counted for change. Um, and the list goes on. Of course, um, the 17-year-old uh, Jamil Shaw, Jamil Shaw, the gang member uh, and illegal immigrant uh, Pedro Espinoza. Neil, Neil, I'll tell you what, why don't, why don't we talk about Robert Machadi, a New York City cop who's 24 years old. I had deported, a, a, I had physically put a, a convicted drug dealer, a Panamanian, not a Mexican. Yeah. It's not about Mexico, folks. A Panamanian drug dealer who had a green card lost it because of drug convictions and crimes of violence. Under Ed Koch, and I thought Koch was a great mayor, but he started the insanity of sanctuary policies way back when. We physically, I put up this guy on the airplane because the judge had ordered him deported, stripped him of his green card, okay. and said, you're out of here. He came back and was arrested twice by the members of the New York City Police Department, but they were prohibited from telling us. Reentry is a felony. Now, I work with Al D'Amato to create the aggravated felon reentry law that makes unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year maximum felony. This isn't a minor crime. This isn't double parking. And because we weren't notified, this guy was out there. And the third time in Brooklyn, he is encountered by Officer Robert Machadi, whose wife is pregnant. He fights Machadi for his gun. Bullets fly. Officer Machadi is killed on a street corner in Brooklyn. I testified at the murder trial. I was on the witness stand for the better part of a day. And sitting in the witness stand and looking at Officer Machadi's mother and father and kid brother, and I spoke to his brother years later. He said that the parents were never the same. His father, who always used to like to play practical jokes, and he was a fun sort of guy, never smiled. He used to sit there and stare at the walls of his house. His mother used to go to church every morning and every night to pray for her son. And he said she actually used to pray for my safety. And uh, it was a very emotional thing. I had had cancer. He said, wouldn't it be nice if maybe my mom's prayers helped you? But think about that. And then one day I go into a supermarket 20 years later, and this checkout girl opens up a lane, and it was starting to snow, and I zipped into that lane so I could get home before the roads froze over, and she's wearing a miniature police badge. Guess who she turns out to be? Officer Machadi's daughter that he never met. Wow. See, I am so tired of the stories always focusing on somebody from some other country why is there no balance why doesn't someone stand up and say this is an american family that used to live in that beautiful house and the husband and wife who work you know 60 hours a week to support themselves and their kids lost their jobs in the computer industry yep. and are now living in public housing because they are too old to be back in that industry. And I will tell you that the computer industry is doing everything they possibly can 
to not hire Americans who lose computer jobs because they are hell-bent, literally, on bringing in foreign workers who will work for right. less money. And the game they play is that we're not supposed to bring in foreign workers who displace Americans unless the person is making more than 60000 a year. 60000 may sound like a lot of it's money. It's not much, yeah. But, but if you have an MBA in computer science and you've been in that industry for 20 years, you could be earning two and three times that much. And then suddenly you get a tap on the shoulder and they say, hey, Charlie, can we see you in the conference room? You did a great job for us last year. In fact, the Disney people told that story. They got letters telling them that Disney's profits couldn't have been higher and their professionalism couldn't have been better. And then they were fired. And then, yeah, and then go train your replacement, which is such a slap and in the face. Train your I mean, replacement. To me, I always kind of use an example with that because, you know, I've encountered situations like that. I'll never train a replacement. I think that's absurd. That's like um, Peyton Manning training the backup quarterback or Brady training the backup quarterback. He just said that he's going to play another seven years. He's not training anybody. Um, but just to give a sports analogy with that because I think that uh, that resonates well. Um, just to put a fine point on the media and then I want to move on and continue on the economic side, um, you know, the, the media's role is to cover all the news, not to make judgments about it, to cover all the news. Did you and say put it cover up all the news? I'm sorry. No, Neil, no, no. Did, cover, I, did I hear that wrong? Not cover up. I mean, reveal, Oh, okay. You know, I, I just yeah. wanted to make sure because I thought I heard. Sorry. No, to cover, to cover <laughs> all the news. I couldn't resist. I, I just couldn't resist. No, of course. No, I mean, listen, I, I get your, your jest, but to me, I mean, listen, this is why I'm doing this is to talk about things that are not discussed and you know fox news gets a bad rap but hey they're the only ones covering uh sanctuary cities i mean to be honest with you um and president well, Trump... well let's well let's give well, let's give credit to one american news network and newsmax i'm frequently a guest on those programs okay there you go I i'm not main... a not a viewer and I, well i understand but unlike so many networks they don't pre-interview they just say to me, Mike, we're covering this issue. Do you want to come on? Right. And they like have I, no what idea <laughs> what I'm going to say until I'm in front of the camera. Good. That's the way it should be. And that's, way, and that's what journalism is supposed to be about, isn't right. it? Right. Not, not crafting <clears throat> the story before it's you carefully go on. scripted, and then they, they and, edit yeah, it to make sure driven. that the narrative goes forward. Uh, don't, and not get, the don't get me started on the edits. I went nuts on that yesterday with the uh, CBS uh, This Morning on Sunday, the way that they uh, uh -huh. made Sean Hannity and conservatives look bad. But let's get off of that. I'll, uh, you know, we'll, there's we can always attack them because they, frankly, they don't they don't have enough time. They're lazy and they don't actually investigate. Um, but let's get on to economics. Um, because the Philadelphia mayor, one of the mayors that is against uh, uh, against President Trump's uh, sanctuary city policies and enforcing law. By the way, sen uh, I keep saying Senator Sessions because it rolls off the tongue, but Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions will be meeting yeah. with a bunch of mayors uh, tomorrow. So we'll be uh, we'll be talking about that and and we'll discuss why um, why these policies. But forth and communicate that with these mayors. But the Philadelphia mayor uh, Jim Kenney says. Um, since 2000, immigrants were responsible for 96% of Philly's Main Street small business growth. Um, are those facts accurate? And what is what does that mean? Just because you have immigrants, which again they're vague on that, they're not saying illegal, they're not saying illegal. Right. Um, what they is, never, but that's the point. They yeah. never draw that distinction. And that's a that's and a I, problem. And I remember when I was out on Long Island being interviewed by the local cable station, they said, would you like to debate this person? Because there was a study done by, and they gave me the name of the foundation that did the study. 
<clears throat> so I did my homework. I always do my homework mm -hmm. before I went to the network to sit down in the studio. So they bring this guy in who's talking, and the study was all about how great immigrants have been for the Long Island economy. But they did not make a distinction between illegal alien and immigrant. And by the way, I notice you say uh, illegal immigrant, and I don't like to even say that. I really want people to understand something. The word alien is a legal term, and under the right. Immigration and Nationality Act, the definition of alien is any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. You'd be hard-pressed to find an insult in that definition. But it's done that way, so it's easy to blur distinctions. Yes. So they say, well, the immigrants, sure, some immigrants are truly a credit. Look, I'm happy to live in New York. If I was a xenophobe, why in the world would I live in America's most ethnically diverse city? I'm retired. I could move anywhere. I love the diversity of New York. It's exciting. When I travel around the country and you go to some of these communities that, for lack of a better term, are basically white bread communities mm -hmm. where everyone, you know, looks the same, sounds the same, the restaurants are the same. I come to New York. What do you want to have tonight? You name the ethnic food, and we've got it, and we've got it in greater quantities, right. and it's as authentic as it gets. So th th this whole notion <clears throat> that anybody who says enforce the immigration laws is xenophobic, and, and I'll give you a really good example. I was a B'nai B'rith president back in college. I went to Washington when Lyndon Johnson was the president. Again, I hate admitting to my age. <laughs> but we tried to convince Johnson to get the Russians to allow Jews and other religious minorities to leave of their own free will. And if, they, if they're able to, they could come to the United States and be granted um, refugee status here. And I was thrilled because as an inspector, I got to admit refugees. And I felt that I had closed the circle. As an inspector, I admitted foreign students and new immigrants and visitors and tourists, and I loved being able to say yes to these people. I didn't get excited and say, wow, I kept somebody out, unless the guy was a real bad guy. You don't want to do that. You're mm -hmm. happy to greet people and say, welcome to America. As an adjudications officer, I did the marriage interviews like you've seen in the movies. Yes, I did uncover a marriage fraud ring. It's kind of funny, but this is New York. It involved Chinese um, ship jumpers. These were men from China who would jump ship in New York Harbor, got involved in marriage frauds, and their lovely brides were lesbian Puerto Rican hookers. Only in New York, what can I say? But the point of the matter was that we did uncover that fraud ring. People did go to jail. We did disbar an attorney. But I also approved green cards for hundreds of people during the year that I was on that assignment. And I was thrilled when I was able to tell people, congratulations, you're getting your residency. This isn't about being anti-immigrant. It's about making certain that we keep criminals and terrorists and spies out of the country, people who would do harm to Americans. And again, it's not right. by race or religion. No. Nothing so that's such an important... And by the way, the Anti-Defamation League now refers to me in some of their wonderful articles as being anti-immigrant. They don't bother talking about my background. They just say that I write articles for these groups that are anti-immigrant. Why are they anti-immigrant? Because they're saying, let's enforce the laws. So let me yeah. ask you and well, ask Well, that's your another thing. It's really just enforcing question. the laws. So that even... my question. Yeah, go ahead. So, so if, if, if I would love to ask the mayors of sanctuary cities, Yes or no, are you willing to fire the Border Patrol? Yes or no, should we stop 
having inspectors inspect passengers and cargo arriving in the United States from international flights. Because if the answer is, we need the Border Patrol, then I want to know why. Because if you don't care how somebody gets here, why do we bother with a Border Patrol? Why right. are we spending over $14 billion a year right now on Customs and Border Protection? They have over 60,000 employees, and President Trump wants to add to those numbers. But the point is, <clears throat> if you don't think it matters whether people come legally or illegally, if you don't care that we're no longer going to be screening people to see if they're terrorists or criminals, then why have a charade? When the police respond to a bank robbery, they are not told that if you don't catch the robber in the bank, you can't go after him afterwards. When someone runs the border or someone violates the terms of their legal admission into the United States, they don't become less legal by staying here longer or getting further away from the border. Mm -hmm. So why in the world would we, you know, I, I would love to know, yes or no, Mr. de Blasio, you want to expeditiously dump people out of public housing if they have criminal histories, but you don't want to remove anybody from the United States who might have a criminal history. And maybe some of those people that they want to kick out of housing are, in fact, illegal aliens. I'd love to right. know if he believes that it would be okay to fire the Border Patrol, because we could save $14 billion a year tomorrow morning if we got rid of Customs and Border Protection. And you can't say, let's keep the Border Patrol, but let's ignore the laws they're enforcing, because that doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And you look at the um, the border states. Am I asking an unreasonable question? No, it's very fair. I mean, it doesn't make sense to have a Border Patrol if you're not going to utilize them. It doesn't make sense when you have all these laws in the books and you ignore them. And you have, I mean, listen, I have right in front of me. President Trump's first, um, the Trump administration, well, really the Department of Homeland Security, their first uh, list, every week they put this out, of um, sanctuary cities and, and the criminals that were released under these policies. In that report, in the first report, 118 cities and jurisdictions that have legally declared themselves sanctuaries um, released criminals that were murderers, rapists, gun violent uh, people who perpetrate gun violence, wife beaters, sex abusers. 206 illegal criminals in, in just the first week of the Trump administration were released. Look, it's, it's mind-boggling. I watched a hearing that was done by the House Immigration Subcommittee, chaired by Trey Gowdy, and I've had conversations with Trey, right. and I think he's trying to do the right thing. But they brought in a sheriff from Maryland. Now, I want you to think about this. You were talking about Maryland. This was, a couple, this was April of last year. And he had said that since those surges of unaccompanied minors from Central America, his deputies in Maryland, when they respond to the, the local schools, including public schools, because a crime was committed, over 60% of the time, the student accused of the crime was an illegal alien who came across that border. Think about it. But here's another problem that's not being discussed anywhere. And, and so I, I'm going to discuss it here. Right. If we were to legalize the illegal aliens, you know, well, we took care of the, of the criminals. Well, we don't know what we don't know. And how many times do we have terrorists who aren't in anybody's radar scope? Because that's their job, just like a spy. Somebody once said that a good spy is somebody who would not attract the attention of a waiter or waitress at a greasy spoon diner. I would add that maybe they are that waiter or waitress, okay? Same thing with terrorists. Same thing with terrorists. 
In fact, I remember one time we raided a, a restaurant in Staten Island, and it was remarkable. We had nine people in custody. One guy broke free and ran like the wind, went through a little transom, a little window. We were in the basement and went zipping across the parking lot. And this kid was an athlete. He could have run the marathon. He was Egyptian. He was running across the roofs and hood, hoods of the car. It looked like a bad scene out of an Eddie Murphy movie. He was sliding under some cars, jumping up and running on the rooftops of the other cars. We finally brought him in for a landing. This was the early 1980s. We brought him back to his apartment looking for his passport, because we need that to identify him and to seek his deportation. <clears throat> and we found bags of coupons filled to the brim located all around the apartment. There must have been 20 bags filled to the top, shopping bags, paper, big paper shopping bags filled to the brim okay. with coupons for stuff he could never possibly use. Dog food, women's sanitary products, baby food, formula, diapers, coupons. Hmm. Never gave us a satisfactory explanation. And we didn't know what to make of it. We deported him. And then there was a news report that ran, I forget if it was NBC, ABC, it doesn't matter, one of the alphabet networks. And it turned out that a discovery had been made that Arafat, the head of the PLO, the terrorist group in the Middle East responsible for kidnappings and murders and so forth, were sending orders to their people living in the United States to commit coupon fraud through bodegas that they bought so that the money from the coupons would go into his coffers in the Middle East and pay for explosives and Jesus. weapons and so forth. And when, and when the people got tired of doing it or they thought law enforcement was on to them, they would burn their stores down, and often people who lived in the apartments above the store were getting killed or very oh. badly burned. And so, in my judgment, those were acts of terror. Now, here is this guy who's working as a dishwasher in a diner in Staten Island. And guess what? He fit the profile of one of those individuals committing coupons for it. Arafat was getting well over $100 million per year in those days through coupon fraud. So hmm. we don't know who's who. So now here's my point. You have people saying, well, if they haven't been convicted of crimes and they've been living here for more than seven years, five years, eight, pick a number, let's just let them stay here. And I've heard this on all the networks, yeah. and I hate to say this, including Fox, but what they're missing is that Number one, there's no interviews that's going to be possible. There's so many millions of people. We could be looking at 30 million people, maybe more, just like we saw with Reagan. One million became almost four million, 11, 12 million, you know, the same ratio. No interviews, no field investigations. You won't know how long these folks have been here. They will know what they're supposed to say in the application, and the adjudicators will have to rubber stamp the applications if they're going to keep pace with the workload. And understand that it just takes minutes to approve an application, but it can take days or weeks to deny an application. So if you're trying to clear the backlog, the pressure is on to approve everything. So, number one, we won't know who they really are. Number two, we won't know how long they've been here. We don't know if they're giving you their real names or even their true countries of citizenship. And now, So that's a national security nightmare. But now here's the kicker no one's talking about. As soon as they're given lawful status, they can bring every single one of their spouses and minor children to the United States overnight. Third world countries tend to have large families. Yes, Seven, eight, nine children, not unheard of. What happens if we have an influx of, conservatively, 30 million kids coming here who can't speak English, and some of whom may be gang members? 
What would that do to the American school system? Which right now, by the way, according to a Center for Immigration Studies report, nearly one in four kids going to school right now is the child of an immigrant family. Mm-hmm. Many of those kids don't speak English. What do you think that does to test scores? Oh, our schools yeah. are failing. Well, wait a moment. Are the schools failing? Or is it that we have so many kids who can't speak and read yeah, and write teachers English? teachers can't keep up. And the teachers can't keep up. No. This is all weighing down the ability of the schools to help American kids. Look at the American children living in poverty. The solution to poverty is education. Why on earth would we undermine the school's capability of educating American kids to help bootstrap them into a position of success as they grow? Is that an unreasonable question? No. It's uh, very fair, and, you know, we talk. Uh, we could talk for a long time. I'll ask you one more question, but before I get to that, just a comment. You know, we always get into all these, the heavy policy, and I love hearing your stories um, in term, because you learn so much in terms of how immigration is so intertwined across, whether you're talking about uh, national security, you're talking about local crime, you're talking about education. Um, it's healthcare. so intertwined, healthcare. And it affects us. It raises our our costs, and we cannot control. Um, we don't know who these people are, and that's the basic right. the question. So that just leads me to to my question now: Is the uh, what? Uh, do you feel confident two months in to the Trump administration that now they are putting forth their sanctuary city policy? And um, it's going to be a fight. I mean, everything that they're doing is going to have to be a fight because it's the nationalists versus globalists, and the politicians don't want to give up their power. Do you feel confident that the Trump administration is doing the right thing here and that we're headed on a better path and that things may improve? Well, I, I think I think that Obama was running this country off the cliff. So anything has to be an improvement right. from that train wreck. But look, you've got members of Congress who need to hear from the American people. And what I worry about is long term. Will Donald Trump be remembered in history books as a speed bump along the way to a country without borders and a catastrophe? Or will this be the beginning of a movement, as he referred to it, where Americans wake up the way they did in England and you saw Brexit and say, wait a minute, Trump is right. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. I'm a labor guy. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman, as you like to say, plumber by trade. And so if you're a labor guy, how in the world could you want to flood America with cheap foreign labor? Right. And Trump's not an ideologue at all. No. And so this is about being practical. And by the way, we all feel sympathetic about starving children. But if your own kids are going to bed at night hungry... Do you give money to charity, or do you make sure you buy some good food for your kids before you even think about giving yeah. money to charity? One in four American children right now lives below the poverty line. Is America in the position to bring the world here as a solution for world hunger? There's over 7 billion people living on this planet. We can't even control how our many, own country. How are we going right. to dip How in the other world countries? do you bring a billion people here? I mean— What's the appropriate number? I'd love to hear Mr. Oh, de Blasio's look at take China. on that. Yeah, look at China and their overpopulation. If you want to talk about climate so, change. So why in the world, if you're reasonable and rational, why in the world would any liberal want what the U.S. Chamber of Commerce wants? The Chamber of Commerce, and I'm not going to get into the environment. I have mixed feelings about it. Mm-hmm. But they're ecstatic about the president saying, we're getting rid of all these standards about global warming and all that other business. 
and most liberals are very upset about it. The Chamber of Commerce wants to flood America with more immigrant labor, more foreign students, and more foreign tourists. The liberals are doing exactly what the Chamber of Commerce wants. You know, I, yeah. I work with a great speakers bureau in Washington, Freedus, Alan Freed Associates. One of the other speakers is a gentleman you probably know his name. His name is Ralph Nader. Sure. And Ralph Nader was a crusader going back to the early 60s about the car situation, unsafe at any speed. His biggest adversary was not General Motors. It was the Chamber of Commerce. And what I want to really know is people who profess that they are liberals, do they even know who they've gotten into bed with? The Chamber of Commerce is the reason we've gone from 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11 to 38 visa waiver countries now, when there should be zero visa waiver countries. The Chamber of Commerce is looking to drive down wages every way they can. And this is what they want. And the liberals are parroting the words that are scripted by the United States Chamber of Commerce. If Americans got together and stopped this intellectual inbreeding, yeah. And that's why safe spaces are certainly not safe for anybody, especially not safe for democracy nope. on college campuses. Don't People get me started on college campuses. have a conver- <laughs> an honest conversation. And I guarantee you one thing. If Americans could get together and stop this hyphenated nonsense, Latino voters are no different from any other voter. That's a disgusting form of bigotry. Oh, and identity politics is is uh, by definition bigotry. I mean, the way that they yes. um, the way that they the divide Jewish vote, people, the black vote, right, the Latin, right. It's disgusting. We're they're, Americans. They're people. All exactly. Americans could sit down and you could say to them, "If you had a magic wand, what would you want for yourself and your children?" And you know what? I don't care what your skin color is or anything else. We all pretty much want the same thing. I'll tell you what we want. Tell me if I'm wrong. We want the military to keep our enemies away from us. Indeed. We want the police to make our streets safe so we can go out and buy groceries or go to the store and not worry about getting mugged. Mm -hmm. We want the schools to educate our kids, and we want to know that any American, irrespective of what I call the superficial factors, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any American willing to work hard, who benefits from just a little bit of good luck thrown in for measure, can write the next success story. And I don't think that that's a left issue or a right issue. That is an American issue. And anybody who operates against those goals is somebody who needs to be sent hacking. Open borders go against all of those goals. Very simply stated. So if you can't secure your borders and you have no control over who comes here, you don't have need for a military. Because, you know, the Navy does that great commercial to get to you. they got to come through us. Mm-hmm. No, they're not coming in U-boats. This isn't the Second World War. They're coming on airliners. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not making light of the military. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the U.S. military. But the point is, what mission does the military do? when terrorists can come into our country, embed themselves, and carry out attacks. And dead is dead. Whether someone dies because of their involvement in a terror attack or because they catch a stray bullet in Newark because of a drug deal gone bad, dead is dead. And safety starts with keeping the bad guys off the streets. We've done that for millennia. That's why we built prisons, supposedly, to keep criminals away from the honest, decent people who they would prey upon. It's basic stuff. Problem, it really one, is one not final complicated. Point. Go ahead. One final point. 
everyone always talks about recidivism. How do we fix recidivism? Criminologists have written PhD theses that you could pay for the whole world with, right? Mm -hmm. They call jails correctional facilities. They correct <laughs> very little, unfortunately. <clears throat> you know what the antidote to recidivism by a criminal alien is? No. Deportation. Well. Deportation. <laughs> if they're not here, they can't carry out the crime. Why would anybody charged with the safety of a city or a state or a country not want to make that country as safe as possible? And this isn't xenophobia. No. This is simply about honoring the laws that are designed to protect us. Let me, um, Period. Let me get your opinion on this real quick uh, before I let sure. you go. Um, they okay. have uh, – there's a law that I, that I found. The, uh, it was signed by Bill Clinton actually. The Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigration Responsibility Act – uh, which includes section 1996. Yeah, 1996. I, I, actually, I actually contributed some ideas to that. Did Go you? Ahead. Okay, so that includes section yes. 8 U.S. Code 1373, which provided that, quote, no state or local entity can in any way restrict its law enforcement officials from communicating with federal immigration authorities regarding an individual citizenship or immigration status. Can a mayor like Bill de Blasio be prosecuted under this law for um, for refusing to abide by federal immigration laws? My gut feeling is yes, but I'm not a constitutional no. lawyer. I'm yeah. not an attorney, but they should be. I it mean, look, be. if you look at Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1324, harboring, aiding, abetting, shielding, inducing, encouraging, isn't that what sanctuary cities do? Yep. If you or I did that as civilians, as individuals, I guarantee you that you would get a visit from some ICE agents. Yeah. <clears throat> Why in the world would we allow mayors of cities and I understand states' rights, and I understand the Tenth Amendment. But this is not an authority that is not specifically given to the federal government. It is an authority of the federal government, and they're violating it. Yeah, it's the, what it's would the federal happen government the has, the, has the only authority. Right. So, what, what, you know, see, you can't have it both ways. Arizona was told, well, you can't promulgate policies, which was a lot of baloney. I helped the law firm retained by Governor Brewer to push back against the Obama Justice Department when that lawsuit was filed. Jeff Sessions is a good guy. You know, I, I have to tell you, Sessions really honored me. In uh, 2007, I testified before three House hearings and one Senate hearing on the issue of comprehensive immigration reform. Right. And I was so fired up, I wrote an article for the Washington Times that was called Immigration Bill and No-Go. I compared the hearings that I and other people had testified at with the countdown for the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. And I said that the reason for the countdown was for the experts to say whether or not they should go forward with the launch. The reason for the hearings was for the experts to weigh in as to whether they should go forward with, with legislation. And I said that that law needed to have a more honest and fully descriptive name. I came to call comprehensive immigration reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. And Senator Sessions liked it so much he quoted me from the floor of the United States Senate with attribution on three separate days and then sent me a certificate. I'm looking at it right now. My wife had it framed and hung it on the wall of awesome. my bedroom. And, and he said that he believed that that concept that he was able to refer to during the debates convinced enough of his colleagues to defeat the legislation. Wow. And, and, you know, everyone wants to portray Sessions as a hardliner. If he is a hardliner, he stands 
as a hardliner on the side of American citizens and American workers. And where did that become a problem? Yeah, I don't know. Sessions seems like a great guy. I mean, you know him. He I is. don't, but he seems like such a nice man. And they do this. They, they, anyone that speaks out that wants to protect the United States, you're automatically a bad person. You know, I had people yesterday on Twitter call me a bad person because I want to put America first. I mean, seriously? You know what I mean? Like, what's oh, because I care about my country, and you know, I mean, I care about the world, but I care you, more about you, my country. Did you live through nine yeah, eleven? I did. Neil. I did. Well, you know, I testified four and a half years before nine eleven about the issue of visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud because of two deadly attacks carried out in the United States in ninety three. A Pakistani who had applied for asylum shot up the CIA in January ninety three, killed mm-hmm. two CIA officers and wounded three others. And the very next month, we had the first bombing at the Trade Center. Six people were killed, more than 1,000 people injured. Over a half billion dollars in damages inflicted. The tower almost came down sideways, in which case I don't even want to imagine what the cost would have been in lives or money, but especially lives. And so four years, four and a half years later, I'm called to testify. And then I had an argument prior to 9-11 with the Republican counsel at the House Judiciary Committee, and they said to him, what the blankety-blank is it going to take, another attack at the Trade Center? Neil, that argument that I had with with the Republican counsel was on the Friday before 9-11. Oh, jeez. And in Brooklyn, where I live, the ashes landed on my home, contained the remains and part of my neighbors. Yeah. That night, my neighbors were out sitting on the sidewalk in front of my house, screaming at the top of their lungs. I could still hear the screams at night sometimes in my head. They didn't know where their wives, their children, their husbands, their parents, they didn't know where anybody was. And those of us who were in New York aren't the same. No. And so when you look at that, and you look at San Bernardino, and you look at the Boston Marathon, and you look at the attacks in Europe, and you look at what happened in Mumbai when they took over the hotel, and you look at all of that, and you have supposed leaders screaming about how unfair it is to secure borders. I want everyone to think about this. This isn't xenophobia. This is common sense. We are at war. Make no mistake, we are at war. We have kids coming home in body bags and kids coming home missing body parts who have signed up valiantly to volunteer to be part of our armed forces. We've had terror attacks carried out inside the United States And the number of attacks either failed because of the ineptitude of the idiots that were trying to do it, because of divine influence, I have no idea, and I'm not a religious guy, or maybe because our guys were so damn good that we discovered the plots prior to them being carried out. But, you know, they always used to say that the bad guys got to get it right only once. Every alien who can game the visa process, every alien who could sneak into the country, provides the terrorists with that one opportunity they need to get it right. And if we can strip search kids, there was a story today, I think either on Fox or ABC News, about this kid who was traumatized by a pat-down at the airport. (laughs) And why are we patting down a kid wearing shorts and a T-shirt is beyond me. But we are. And I've seen women in wheelchairs in their 80s, because we just know she's waiting to spring out of the wheelchair and overpower the flight crew. (laughs) Well, I mean, but we're doing that, question, but we don't care that there are millions of people in our country and we have no idea that they're here 
or who they yeah. are or what brought them here. But listen, if it keeps – I have no problem with being pet down myself. I'm usually not, <laughs> but if I really don't care. I mean, I go into a ball game and it feels like I'm being groped when I walk into the ball – you know, walk into the to the stadium, which well, is well, fine. I just, bring a bottle of, I just bring a bottle of wine with me to the airport and hope I get lucky. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, um, listen, if – wouldn't – ISIS, when radical Islamists want to use some sort of uh, decoy um, that they may um, pay someone off or someone in shorts that does not look I'm suspicious. Not, I'm not arguing with yeah. you. What, my no, I'm point just, is I'm just this. asking. I have no problem with that. I mean, you know. No, I, I, but, but my point is sense. if we're going to go to that extreme, and by the way, we've seen it time and again, we haven't had an airplane used as part of a terrorist attack since 9-11 in the United States. Right. No, now they're using now vehicles. Now they're now they're and driving knives. cars over and people knives. and knives. Right. So all right. So everyone, bring in your silverware, and we will replace it with plastic. How's right, that right. for an idea? Yeah. I mean, this is nuts. Yeah, it's like whenever there's a gun issue, to... you know, they claim that it's uh, uh, it's right. guns. Look, you know, it doesn't matter what razor. the vehicle is. The... It's, ideolo- it's well, ideology. Right. But the point is, Occam's razor, the simplest solution. Look at who's coming into the country. Look at who's doing what they're doing. And by the way, terrorists aren't only individuals that carry out crimes of violence. Uh, it's just like it was just three astronauts who went to the moon on each of the Apollo flights. There was an army behind them. Mm-hmm. But behind the terrorists that do what they do is an army of propagandists and fundraisers and all sorts of people who are behind them as part of a support network. Perhaps they provide lodging for some stranger. They get a phone call, so-and-so is coming, don't ask them questions, give them a bed to sleep on in the living room. And they do it. Raise money by coupon fraud, and we'll tell you where to send the money. And they do it. They are terrorists just the way that the people in the Air Force, only maybe, what, 5% of the people who proudly wear the Air Force blue uniform actually are pilots. The rest have support missions. We are allowing people into our country without knowing who they are or what their ultimate goals are. That's dangerous. Very. As a homeowner, as an apartment dweller, they give you basic equipment. They give you a doorbell, a lock, and a peephole. Why? So you can be reasonably certain that the person you're letting in is safe to let in. That's what immigration does for our country. When I work with the law firm retained by Governor Jan Brewer, I got a little bit poetic in my deposition and said that for the first four years of my career, when I sat in that booth at Kennedy International Airport in Jamaica, I had my eye to the peephole on America's front door. How hard a concept is that, Neil? It's it's very simple, and it's common sense. And listen, we can only hope that uh, Jeff Sessions and Hola Havamine will continue covering it right here on this podcast on Sunday's show. Um, you know, we'll see what uh, what policies get put forth, and let's just hope because uh, Trump's promises have been common sense uh, policies, and let's just hope that uh, that we do enact them and we build a safer country. But right now, things are bad, and it's very intertwined. And to drain well, the swamp so here's, here's is going to be a tough thought. challenge. Here's, here's a final thought: What needs to happen, folks, is support the candidates who oppose sanctuary cities. Yeah. And, and by the way, you can give money, you can support campaigns across the country. Every sanctuary city threatens every city in the country. It does. Because terrorists and criminals can use sanctuary cities as a staging area. 
So if you're as upset about this as I am, and I hope you are, because this is not a minor issue, then support the candidates who oppose sanctuary cities. Get involved in politics. There's a mayoral election coming up next year in New York and elsewhere. There'll be gubernatorial Mm -hmm. elections. Get involved and don't look at whether it's an R or a D. It doesn't matter if they're with the flying kangaroo party. Look at their position on immigration. Yeah, By the I mean, way, let me just put my website out there. Yeah, it's go Michael ahead, go Cutler, ahead. One word, michaelcutler.net. Visit me on that website as well as capsweb.org and Front Page Magazine where I do a lot of my writing, the social contract. But michaelcutler.net is probably That's the easiest place site. to go. And, and again, Neil, I want to thank you for what you're doing. Uh, you're providing an invaluable service that the mainstream media refuses to do. And in this era, knowledge certainly is power. So thank you. And remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Right. Well, that's the thing. Politics can help people. Uh, Getting involved can help people. And, you know, if uh, the right people, though, uh, want are in politics, because that's the whole thing is that we don't necessarily have uh, smart uh, or people who uh, people that want to truly help the country. But we have a president who does. And I truly believe that. So uh, Michael Cutler, uh, retired immigration and naturalization service agent, uh, front page magazine, CAPS. Um, social contract. Thank you so much for coming on, spending the time to chat uh, as always, and uh, you're more than welcome to come on anytime. Michael Cutler, thanks for being a part of the program today. Thanks for having me. Great to visit with you. Have a great day, everybody. All right, Michael Cutler here on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast. Uh, Just to tell you about that Maryland rape case, the defense right now is claiming that um, the teenage girl, the 14-year-old, apparently was texting explicit uh, compromising images of herself, the attorney, and it's really sickening to watch kind of how the uh, the case is being handled because you know you have two illegal immigrants who shouldn't have been there in the first place, should never have been involved with this 14-year-old girl, but according to text messages, and we have not seen the text messages, this is according to the defense um, for the uh, illegal immigrants, that um, they are saying that the girl had acknowledged that she had already engaged in sexual activity at just 14, um, and she had indicated that she had had sex with the illegal immigrant uh, before, but she did turn it down, and that's rape. Uh, She said no, and he dragged the two, the 18-year-old, the 17-year-old, dragged her into the bathroom and uh, raped her. Uh, That's the case. Police are saying that she did refused to have sex, and when she refused, they dragged her into the bathroom and raped her. 18 years old, 17 years old, they don't speak English, and they were in a high school. Uh, Meanwhile, the father of the 18-year-old Rockville High School student there in Maryland uh, was detained by ICE. 43-year-old Adolfo Sanchez Reyes was arrested last Friday after a review of his immigration history revealed that he was unlawfully present in the United States from Guatemala. So he is... Uh, going to have to appear in immigration court, and he's being detained in uh, Jessup County in Maryland. Um, he's the father of the 18-year-old Henry Sanchez Milan, one of the two teenage students charged with first-degree rape and first-degree sexual offenses. Just a uh, outrageous uh, story. And you know, we're talking about media with Michael Cutler, and you know, just to put a point on this, uh, CNN they had this. Uh, I'm looking at a screen grab here. Um, and the banner uh, on the bottom of the screen says, How Fox used Maryland rape case to advance Trump's agenda. Meanwhile, with this, uh, and, and I've seen this guy before. He's a total uh, pinhead. Um, his name is uh, Brian Stelter. 
And uh, if you watch him, well, this is what he said about this Maryland uh, rape. He goes, rapes and assaults and murders are local news stories only uh, on a daily basis. But uh, when they do break through to become national news and yet, or when do they become uh, national news and when do they not? Uh, he wondered. Um, well, you know, when it's when you have any sort of rape that should have been preventable, um, that is not just a local story. Any rape is damaging to the country. Any murder is damaging to the country. And he's just flipping out because, well, uh, Trump is right. Yeah, Trump is right. Get used to it because he's been right all along. And then he, you know, goes on about um, uh, about Fox being biased and all this. Well, CNN clearly, I mean, he is pushing an agenda. If you go on his Twitter, he's very anti-Trump, um, which, okay, you're a commentator, I guess. You don't agree with him, fine. But to say that another network is pushing Trump's agenda because he's right, because a rape happened and you're saying, well, we shouldn't even be talking about this because it doesn't fit our agenda. I mean, you see the, the outrageous, the absurdity here? Meanwhile, you know, any rape, any murder that should have been prevented because the illegal immigrants should have been, should not have been in that school, should not have been in this country because the 18 year old was previously detained by ICE and they both jumped the border in 2016. Unbelievable. Pushing Trump's agenda. Well, Trump just happens to be right and they don't belong here. Uh, and a uh, great interview there with Michael Cutler, the our immigration expert, retired uh, immigration and naturalization service agent. So when we come back, uh, we're going to connect the dots for you, how the Obama administration surveilled President Trump. That's right. We have the facts for you. We'll lay it out. Uh, plus, Big League Jobs, a new announcement uh, today from Ford Motor Company. We're going to give you all the latest on jobs and economic growth and coal miners, all that good stuff on the Neil A. Crystal Show podcast as we roll along on this Tuesday, March 28th. Stay classy with Caruso, the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in. Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. 
Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Hey! Do you want to win? We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. Neil A. Crusoe is winning every day. This is the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast on NeilACrusoe.com and on iTunes. Subscribe now. All right, we are back on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast. Uh, thank you for listening as always and subscribing and all that good stuff. Um, we have a big story up today. Well, a couple of them, but uh, I was busy getting everything up on the site. Uh, NeilACrusoe.com, that is. Um, if you want to check it out, we did a whole connecting the dots report here that we've been talking about on this podcast. In fact, I even uh, one of the podcast episodes is up there where I kind of laid out the litany of this, but I put it in writing because it is so important for people to understand and see it in black and white of a timeline. And there are two timelines on here. Um, and so let's go over because it is the the lead. Uh, that I wrote here is that it's well documented that surveillance of President Donald J. Trump and his aides existed, as revealed by mounting ongoing illegal intelligence leaks that has led to the unmasking of American names, which is a felony punishable by 10 years in prison. Now, this week, there there may be a smoking gun. This is what Fox News is reporting. James Rosen, uh, who I talked to actually the other day, Um, They were expecting a uh, potential gun possibly proving that the Obama administration spied on the Trump camp. What we know, and remember, the New York Times reported on this. I cite all different news sources here to just show you how very well um, this is connected. And there is a a slideshow of – it's down on on the page. There is a slideshow of all of the – based on leaks and based on uh, news reports – of the shadow government, of how Obama spied on Trump, and is well documented here, okay? And I also go into Devin Nunez and this whole last week with the House Intelligence Committee investigation, and obviously people like Chuck Schumer are going to call for um, Nunez to be replaced. In fact, here is Chucky. This is what he had to say about Nunez. You cannot have the person in charge of an impartial investigation be partial to one side. It's an inherent contradiction, and it undermines decades of bipartisan cooperation on the Intelligence Committee, which handles such sensitive information paramount to national security. It undermines Congress as a co-equal branch of government, meant to hold the executive branch accountable for its actions, and it corrodes the American people's confidence in our government. Mr. President, If Speaker Ryan wants the House to have a credible investigation, he needs to replace Chairman Nunez. Congress was meant by the framers to be separate and equal, and I sincerely worry that under his direction, Mr. Nunez is pushing the committee into a direction of obsequiousness, and not one that is asking the hard questions and getting the important answers. Obsequiousness. Give me a break. And 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I have to laugh because it's humor and it just makes me laugh. In fact, I'm watching uh, Trump on Tuesday evening uh, there at the White House with the senators and, and their wives, hosted by uh, the first family. And uh, President Trump goes, uh, hey, Chuck, how's it going? <laughs> Very funny. If you get a chance to watch it, it's actually on uh, on the White House YouTube channel. It's where I saw it. I did not see it live. Um, and the so the House Intelligence Committee chairman is Devin Nunes, Republican in California. This is where they flipped out because on Monday, yesterday, and I didn't get to go over it yesterday because we had a very long podcast. But yesterday, he uh, it was revealed that he was at the White House grounds. What does that mean? Okay, why? And this is what nobody else talks about. The reason why he was on the White House grounds had nothing to do with President Trump. The White House is a big operation, and it's not just the president um, or the residence or the office of the president. Um, Nunez went there because. He got word while he was in. This is all. I have a list here, a bullet format for you. Make it easy. Um, that he got word that um, that there was classified intelligence that would reveal more insight into this alleged Russian investigation with Trump. They find that there's nothing there with the Russia thing. Clearly, there's nothing that they have found yet. And you heard Spicer in the intro earlier uh, saying, uh, you know, if Trump used Russian dressing, it'd be all over it. it. It's just a phony narrative now. They don't take no for an answer. And he got a call. This is where the Washington Post reported that he was in an Uber. He left the Uber because he got a call saying that uh, there was new classified information. He went to the White House in order to protect the classified information. He was in a um, in what's called a skiff um, and a skiff is um is a protective room used to share classified materials now while they have that the house he was he this was very highly sensitive information was dealing with the president and so he just dealt with this information on the white house grounds in their skiff had nothing to do with the president the president did not know about it um and uh so that's that handles that but democrats flipped out over the the process of this they love the process but they can't talk about policy um, you know, I'll get into uh, numbers later in terms of uh, polls, phony polls that are out there um, that uh, people are tweeting me about. And it's like, all right, first of all, the polls are all wrong in the election, but they love these stupid headline stories. They cannot talk about the policy. They cannot talk about incidental collection that we lay out in this article here talking about Trump and his associates being incidentally collected. And then that's number one, which is normal that – any uh, foreigner, a foreign ambassador like Sergei Kislyak of Russia was being surveilled clearly for national security reasons. But being on the phone with, with Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, we should not know about. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's name was unmasked. What does unmasked mean? Unmasked names, that's a felony. Those should never be, American names should never be unmasked in intelligence reports ever. That is a felony punishable by 10 years. It, is a, it violates the Espionage Act. And so you have intelligence people high, very high up that have this sensitive classified special access program information. Sound familiar? Um, this classified information that we should not know about, the unmasking of American names and revealing an American name in this intelligence reporting that was then leaked to the press is criminal. And we should not know. Now, first of all, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn did nothing wrong except lie the vice president about it and that's why he was forced um to resign and you know 
you look into the political games that um, that the left is playing, Troy Gowdy said it best. Um, Gowdy said that uh, he defended Nunez. He said, I wish Senator Schumer or some of the other Democrats would be interested in the authenticity and the reliability of the underlying data rather than the means by which it was acquired. That's what Gowdy said last night. And that's so true. They, you know, they can't get into the substance, so they pick on the outside influence. They say, well, why was he at the White House, and why didn't we know? Now, listen, should Nunez have told the House Intelligence Committee Democrats before briefing the media and Trump? First of all, Trump knew about it. Trump ordered the congressional investigation, which is another point that we have to make here, is that he obviously knew. He should know. And if intelligence is withdrawing information, as the Wall Street Journal reported, and I cited that in my article— the Wall Street Journal uh, reported back in January, I believe it was, or February, that um, that the intelligence was withdrawing information because they felt Trump shouldn't have it. That is wrong, okay? Now our intelligence has become political. You should never be politicizing national security or intelligence, and that's what has happened, and that's why James Comey has to go. And that's why the Obama administration leftovers are problematic. And that's what led to what I detailed and called the Obama shadow government. And I put a timeline here of the Pfizer request order that we know about. Monitoring communications between Trump and his advisors. That was uh, granted in October. So the wiretaps or the surveillance, the wiretaps is more of a, can be a generic term. No evidence was found that there was collusion between Trump and Russia, but they were spying on possibly Trump and, and his aides. You cannot deny that. And so that's what gave me the motivation to lay this all out in black and white because we've talked about it here. And if you were an avid listener of this podcast, you know that it is very well documented by outlets like the New York Times, by outlets like the Clinton News Network, CNN, by outlets like The Guardian and others that document that President Trump was very well, very well could have been surveilled and spied on, and the uh, the allegations look more and more to look to be true, and President Trump should feel vindicated. Now, he was right. You know, when the president says something on intelligence, you have to assume that he's correct because he knows more intelligence than anyone. You have to give him credit for that. Now, he should know more intelligence than anyone. If they're, they are withholding information from him, that is a separate issue, and that is very, very problematic. And that, that folks, is a fascist operation. You know, people like to say that Trump's uh, government is uh, fascist. They make these uh, baseless and um, incendiary remarks. But true fascism is not abiding by democracy when our country elected President Trump. And so I detail this. It's on NeilAcruz.com. It's called Connecting the Dots. Obama administration surveilled President Trump. It's very well documented, and we have a very lengthy story on it from Representative Devin Nunez, the House Intelligence Chairman's briefing the press. What he said, which is that he can confirm that on numerous occasions the intelligence community Incidentally collected, I am quoting, information about U.S. citizens involving the Trump transition, details about U.S. persons associated with the incoming administration, details with little 
aura power for an intelligence value were widely disseminated in intelligence community reporting. And the thing that should outrage everybody is the unmasking. Because that means that sets a, um, a dangerous uh, idea that any one of our names could be unmasked in intelligence reporting that could put our personal lives at risk. And then, of course, I had the Democrats' response in here. But the leaking of classified information is so serious that it's being leaked in the media and the classified information is being put out there in the public. The media, by the way, has no problem publishing the classified information, but they have a problem with Nunez withholding that classified information from them and just telling them this is a, you know, this is a briefing. This is, I know something. I can't tell you, but I know something and it looks like um, Trump may turn out to be right. He has not been proven wrong, folks. So there's more evidence, and I lay out all the evidence, including that BuzzFeed baseless hit job BuzzFeed um, dossier that no other uh, report would be, uh, no other mainstream outlet would report on that makes some really bad claims that, you know, Maxine Waters, a Los Angeles congressman, congresswoman, um, claims that is true and that those sexual acts performed in there are definitely true. She's such a nut that she's questioning, and we play that in the intro, she's questioning uh, people's patriotism. That she goes out there and says, our patriotism is greater than Trump's uh, Trump supporters' patriotism. Trump supporters are bad people. This is what they say. This is what they believe. It's sad. To me, that's unpatriotic to say something like that. I would never question someone's patriotism. I may question their opinion on political issues. I may believe that they are, um, when they're rioting and throwing rocks at Pleewell, those are anarchists. I think it's fair to say when you set campuses on fire that you're an anarchist. But I would never question someone's patriotism by having a different political point of view. And that's what Maxine Waters is doing. And that's what the Democrats are doing. And Trump... Tonight, he's saying, I want bipartisanship. I want to work together. We need to come together. He's pleading at this point. Let's debate policy. Let's not get into this um, gray area nonsense. But when it comes to a real major um, investigation, which is the Obama administration surveillance, that threatens all of us because the Obama administration, or Barack Obama himself, set up a nerve center in his D.C. home that he's living in now. A nerve center to destroy Trump. They have set up an operation that would truly decimate our country, that would ruin uh, our uh, the foundations that we believe in in terms of smaller government, uh, in terms of little interference into our lives. I think that's a basic principle. I know it's more of a... Uh, a conservative belief, but I believe that all Americans don't want to be spied on. Now, when it comes to national security, there should be intelligence. There should be um, surveillance of terrorists and criminals. But if an incidental collection occurs, which is fine, you cannot leak names of Americans. You're putting people's lives at risk. You cannot unmask those names. And they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And there is a problem where you have intelligence officials in Washington who are just as bad as the whining 
you know, liberals that are uh, taking to the streets and protesting every stupid little policy that they don't agree with. There is an effort to destroy Trump. There is an effort to undermine him, and that's not just the Democratic Party, I'm afraid. That's the establishment, and I, I feel as if it is the upper levels of our intelligence, and I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here. The evidence is here, and and I'm just citing the leaks for now. Now, I have uh, in, in the story that I wrote, there's a lot of documentation and a lot of citation, because I wouldn't be able to put the story out unless I... Because uh, I know I'm going to get criticized for it, and it's going to come out in any newsletter tomorrow, so I know I'm going to hear things about it. But I wouldn't be able to put that out unless I had documentation of it. And I've compiled this over weeks, and it was time to, to publish it. We've talked about it on this program here. and But just based on the illegal intelligence leaks, the intelligence community is not serving the president. Their job is to serve the president, to give him anything that he needs in terms of intelligence. I feel as though there's a lot of covert operations that are going on, and I feel bad for President Trump in the fact that um, he is trying to do his best to reduce bureaucracy, and they're not going to—they're not going to give up. They're not going to—they're going to put up a fight, and even though there is. Uh, reason to believe there are links here of Obama administration surveillance. I feel that the intelligence leaks are just going to get worse. And there is a a major coalition out there, a paid coalition, to destroy our president. Um, it These are tough, dangerous times. So you can read that story for yourself on NeilAcurso.com. Connecting the dots, Obama administration surveilled President Trump. Uh, now, let's get on to the economy, some positive news, uh, and what President Trump is doing, which is more winning, more big league jobs. Ford is making a huge announcement today. Uh, big league. Big league jobs. So Ford, uh, this follows, by the way, a January 3rd announcement in which uh, Ford canceled a $1.6 billion Mexican plant Today, they say that they're going to invest $1.2 billion in the United States, which, by the way, will secure 3,700 American jobs. Uh, the Dearborn Car Company will invest the money at three locations in Michigan, including a $850 million at its Michigan assembly plant in Wayne uh, to make the Ford Ranger and Ford Bronco showing optimism over uh, a re-emerging SUV market. So uh, $1.2 billion is going to save 3,700 American jobs or secure them at least for the time being. Those would have uh, been gone and and uh, that $1.6 billion Mexican plant was already being uh, developed. Uh, but that was canceled on January 3rd and now Ford will actually create 130 new American jobs. Not much, but securing 3,700 uh, is important uh, and a $1.2 billion investment. So um, I put this up on uh, my website and an updated list of the jobs announcements since Mr. Trump's election on November 8th. Uh, there are now 20 announcements uh, since November 8th. And obviously it'll start with Carrier and Ford, I mentioned that one earlier, now two announcements by Ford. And all this amounts to, and you have Carrier, SoftBank, Sprint, 
one web. Um, Ford, uh, Qualcomm, and Apple. Fiat, Chrysler, Toyota, a lot of automakers. Alibaba, Amazon, Walmart, GM, Amgen, and Intel, Delta, Lockheed Martin, ExxonMobil, and Charter Communications, which uh, came out uh, the other day. And this all amounts to $108.9 billion in U.S. investments with approximately 1,883,830 U.S. jobs being created, which can be credited to President Trump's pro-growth and pro-business policies. Big league. Big league jobs. We will make America great again. Now, today at the White House, um, they, President Trump signed an executive order rolling back Obama-era energy regulations, um, targeting, uh, in particular, the Obama administration's uh, signature program that was intended to curb carbon emissions. Uh, and um, the Obama administration instead um, blessed the Republicans for hurting the already struggling coal industry that has already seen a little uptick, uh, which I'll show you. But this executive order Trump initiated um, is an immediate review of the clean power plant which restricts greenhouse gas com uh, emissions at coal-fired power plants. Now, he was surrounded by coal miners at the White House today. The president described that plan as a crushing attack on workers and vowed to nix the job-killing regulations. He tweeted today that uh, they are going to get rid of all of the unnecessary regulations that are putting a strain on the, Repu on the um, American people. And uh, so a lot of climate change activists coming out, well, you're damaging uh, the climate. You know, where is our prayer? I don't think this is, listen, you got different views about the climate, and I'm not saying climate change is a hoax. I'm not saying climate change is uh, not a valid concern. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that priorities need to be put in place. What is our priority? Is our priority going to be American jobs— and making sure that Americans don't lose their jobs because of regulations and environmental uh, protections. And is our priority going to be the um, national uh, security um, of this nation when uh, ISIS is bombing our climate? That threatens our climate more than, uh, than any uh, coal can do. Um, there needs to be some safety measures for sure. But listen, you had all these mining jobs that have gone, and they left. And now they're already starting to come back. 8,000 mining jobs created in February alone. Uh, manufacturing, 28,000 uh, uh, increase in manufacturing jobs. And con uh, construction, an uptick of 58,000 jobs. Just in February alone, that was in the last um, jobs report. And listen, what's our priority? People working, people supporting their family, people... Um, taking care of their kids, putting them through school? Or is our priority going to be the climate and, you know, dealing? you're dealing with things that are a little bit more abstract, things that, yeah, okay, science, you know, science changes all the time. And while science may say climate change is X right now, it could turn out to be Z. And things change all the time. So let's make sure that our priorities take care of people first. Take care of the people that are working hard to support their families, put food on the table, instead of taking their jobs away. Um, the Obama-era EPA rules, by the way, 3,900-plus rules, adding 33,000 pages to the Federal Register. 
Um, that was under the Obama administration. 100 plus greenhouse gas rules proposed or finalized by the EPA. It's unreal just the, the sheer length of these regulations. Uh, you know, and you want to look at like, you want to talk about length? Talk about the tax code. Four million words long. Now, let me put that in perspective. The Bible, 800,000 words compared to $4 million, the $4 million word long tax code. The word length has tripled since 1975, and you can't read it, you can't understand it. Taxpayers spend $6.1 billion, uh, billion hours per year uh, complying with the code. Imagine all that time just to understand the tax code. Do you think the politicians understand the tax code. So I guess tax reform is next up on the Trump agenda, which is why I mentioned that. A um, couple other things. NBC News reporting that the DNC, uh, the Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez, has launched a major reorganization of the party's organization that has been stung by recent crises, including the uh, leaking of questions from Donna Brazil to the Hillary Clinton camp campaign, rigging the primary process for Hillary Clinton, showing total utter disdain for the American people, and we can go on and on about the corrupt Democratic Party. The DNC now has requested resignation letters of all current staffers to be submitted by next month. Party staffs typically see major turnover with a new boss, but this major re uh, resignation, um, this mass resignation uh, letter request will give Perez a chance to completely remake the DNC's headquarters from scratch. After staffing had already reached an unusual low following a round of layoffs in December. So what does this mean for the Democratic Party? Frankly, I told you uh, Tom uh, Perez and his uh, deputy DNC chair, uh, the uh, Louis Farrakhan sympathizer, supporter, and uh, Keith Ellison, um, they are going to change this Democratic Party, I think, for the worse. They're going to move. They want to now battle with Trump on the populist agenda. But the problem is the Democratic populist agenda is socialism. And that's where they're going to keep Ellison's a socialist. Okay? They're now going to move towards socialism. They're going to – they want to cut our military funding even more than it is with a radical Islamic threat upon us. That is uh, threatening our well-being every day. They want to increase your taxes. It's already at a high point. They want total government control in Washington, D.C., which we already have a bureaucratic problem and a, a vicious establishment that is way too big, that is controlling, that is trying to undermine our president. So it'll be interesting to see how the DNC and the Democratic Party moves forth. But I'll tell you, I am not optimistic. I do not think they will move towards the center or try to work for President Trump in any way. I think they're going to be obstructionist, and I think that they are going to be dangerous. Liberalism is dangerous. Being a Democrat, fine. Liberalism is dangerous to the country because that invokes socialism and invokes a radical ideology. It just does. And listen— I'm not for any of the extremes. Let's be clear. But common sense policies, which would entail increasing our military budget when we have a radical threat, that's a common sense to me. Protecting our borders, common sense to me. I kind of come up, came up with that conclusion when I was seven years old. 
and uh, you know, and also lower taxes, meaning you can spend your money on what you want. Okay, and no government control over my health care either. Uh, one last thing, because I'm getting um, you know, these polls that are coming in and saying uh, President Trump's approval ratings are 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 so down, whatever they are. I don't pay attention to polls because the polls are all wrong. You know, on election night, I'm reporting from Midtown, where Trump's headquarters were. And I'm looking at the numbers coming in. It did not resemble the, the polling. And I said, you know what? I had a good feeling actually going into the day. I don't know why. The morning I felt pretty good. The day before I was nervous. And that morning I went off to the city. And I'm seeing the polls. And it's not looking good. And they turn out to be wrong. And you have all these states coming in. And I'm looking at them saying, hey, Michigan. He's got the Pennsylvania came in late. He won Florida. He won Ohio. Okay. And they're still doing polls saying people aren't. Uh, people don't support Trump. Well, who are they asking? They're asking a bunch of lunatic liberals with big mouths. They're not asking the people who support Trump and want him to succeed, want the country to succeed, that they want his America first agenda. And they are behind him. You see by the Trump rallies over the weekend. They're there. Whether they're not, they're not representing the polling. They are there and they're enthusiastic. And all those rallies, they, meet, they meant something. All those enthusiastic rallies, the love in the room, and the love for the United States, wanting an America first agenda, wanting the best for the people. So then there comes a poll today that I see young people in quote-unquote Trump country express the highest levels of presidential job approval, some other poll finds. Uh, the poll conducted by Echelon Insight surveyed 1,000 registered voters in counties that flipped from Obama to Trump, and you have to remember, there were a lot of states that flipped from Obama to Trump. They voted for Obama twice. They voted for uh, Trump in uh, 2016. And uh, they conducted this poll, registered voters in counties that flipped from Obama to Trump and counties where Trump's margin of victory was more than 20% higher than Romney's in 2012. So, uh, enthusiasm there. Among respondents age 18 to 29, nearly 57% express approval of the way Donald Trump is handling his job as president, making them the age cohort that registered the highest level of approval. Imagine young people, 18 to 29, 57% approved the president. The number includes respondents who approved of Trump's job performance both strongly and somewhat. A full 40% of young people surveyed uh, strongly approved of the way Trump is handling the job. Uh, the youngest voters in the survey disapproved of the president at the lowest level. Only 35.5% either strongly or somewhat disapproved of the way he's handling the job. I don't believe the polls anyway, but uh, listen, okay? When you have such a change and a movement that changed up politics in the United States, you have to believe that there's still enthusiasm for this America First agenda. You see it. You see it at the... Uh, thank you, Tours. You see it at the uh, Trump rallies where he's talking about his agenda. And frankly, if you can understand that this is a movement that, you know, they're going to keep underestimating Trump. They're going to continue to try to bring him down. And they keep failing, and Trump continues to look better than ever. Um, we just have to get policies in there, and that's going to be a fight. And so let's talk policy. Let's not talk process. Let's get into it, okay? Let's get a better health care plan for the American people. Let's put in tax reform that hasn't been done since 1986. 
Let's secure our borders. Let's make sure that we protect our sanctuary, uh, our cities, and that there are no sanctuary cities. Special thanks to Michael Cutler. We'll see you tomorrow on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast. God bless you, and God bless America. The Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media. And log on to neilacrusoe.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.